This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hello and welcome to You Can't Say That, the fourth episode in Hall and Wilcox's podcast in relation to defamation matters. Um, today, I'm joined by Hamish McNair, defamation expert at Hall and Wilcox. Um, my name's Martin Ross. I'm a partner in the corporate and commercial team. Over the last three episodes, we've talked about defamation from the perspective of, of a plaintiff, defamation from the perspective of a defendant. Um, and in the last episode, we've looked at some recent changes to the law. Today, we're going to be doing some crystal ball gazing, looking forward to see what future reforms in the area of defamation law might be on the horizon. Hamish, uh, thanks for your time today. What future reforms are we going to be looking at today? Hey, Martin, and nice to be here for our fourth and final installment of this amazing defamation podcast. Um, it's been great to have a chat to you over the last few weeks about this. So um, the two kinds of reforms we'll be talking about today are the federal anti-trolling legislation, which has recently been introduced into parliament, um, and also some further reforms which are coming out of the New South Wales-led review into the what used to be uniform defamation legislation. Great. Uh, let's talk about anti-trolling laws and reforms first. Uh, sounds really interesting. What issues is the anti-trolling legislation looking to solve? So this comes back to what we were discussing uh, where we were talking about from the perspective of the applicant or a plaintiff. And that's when you don't know who has actually defamed you. So you're dealing with particularly um, social media contexts where people have set up anonymous profiles and they are attacking you um, either directly to you or to people you know um, and spreading defamatory publications on social media. And the issue that we have in this context is that if you don't know who is attacking you and who's actually publishing this content, you don't know um, who to sue and you can't really engage with that issue. So that's the issue we're trying to solve with this legislation. Anonymous defamation. Indeed. And it's a real problem because it, particularly online, I think a lot of people feel very comfortable saying things anonymously that they would never say in person um, or in their own name. So it's a real issue that we've certainly experienced a lot on social media in particular. And would these future reforms only apply in the online world or and on to social media? Yes, that's where they're generally intended to operate. And there are specific carve-outs for um, owners and operators of social media platforms. So that's where it's really targeted at. So yes, it is online. Okay. Before we get into a bit of detail about what is proposed in the anti-trolling legislation, um, where's it at now, Hamish, as at February 2022? It's actually very topical. So this is um, draft legislation, which was released uh, at the end of last year in December. We're sitting here in February 2022, and the legislation was introduced into the Commonwealth Parliament uh, on the 10th of February. So we're talking about very, very recent developments. And this has been a, a key agenda item of the uh, Morrison government at the Commonwealth level. Uh, there are two pieces of legislation that they were targeting before the election uh, were the... Uh, religious discrimination bill. So we know how that went. And the second one is the anti-trolling legislation. So we'll see if that has, has a better run in parliament, but it has been referred off to the legal and constitutional affairs legislation committee um, for inquiry and report back by the 24th of March. So it's not something which is being debated right now. Let's break it down a bit. 
what's been proposed under this anti-trolling law? So this is intended to really radicalise how some of the issues that we were talking about last week work. Uh, the first one is the, the, the principles in VOLA are overturned. So as you might recall, last week we were talking about the fact that uh, the High Court in VOLA found that um, people who create and administer online forums are liable as publishers. And what this does is actually take the liability away from those people and puts it back on the social media platforms themselves. Um, and the way in which it deals with that is to require social media companies who have more than 250,000 Australian account holders uh, to have an actual, what we refer to as like a, a bricks and mortar presence in Australia. They have to have an office in Australia that can respond to defamation complaints. Um, and they also have to implement a new complaints process and a civil action um, under this legislation. And if they do that, then those social media platforms are entitled to have a defence under defamation laws. So it shifts liability away from the owners and operators of pages, shifts it to the platforms themselves, but then gives them a way of protecting themselves, which is to essentially throw open their doors and let people have access to information about these um, the users of their platforms who are using it for defamatory purposes. Okay, so let's talk then about what the social media companies would have to do to avail themselves of that defence. Can you expand on, on what the new complaints process would be? So there's a codified complaint process under the, the proposed legislation um, for a person to make a request of, well, first of all, the first step is to request from the person directly if you can. Um, and if they don't um, come back to you with the, the answer, as they may well not, um, you can go to the, there's a process for going to the social media provider themselves. They have to provide the relevant contact details of a person who has made a defamatory post and also the country location data. And the reason for that is that you could actually be defamed online on Facebook or Twitter or whatever um, TikTok um, by someone who's located outside of Australia. So they give you those two pieces of information, which then you can use to determine um, who that person is and whether you want to proceed against them uh, for defamation. Is this law similar to anything else in other jurisdictions? Yeah, and that's that's one of the major criticisms of this from, from some of the academics is that it actually mirrors what we refer to as an application for preliminary discovery, which is a process that we use at Hall and Wilcox a lot to identify people who are actually sitting behind publications. And the, the key aspects of preliminary discovery are where you know that you've got a cause of action. So you know someone has defamed you, you know that they've published something about you that has identified you, that has a defamatory meaning and has serious harm. So you've got through those four elements of defamation, but you just don't know who is actual publisher. Um, you can approach a court in those circumstances to make an order that a third party. So in this case, the third party is essentially Facebook or TikTok or whoever, to disclose information about who that person is. And we've successfully made applications like that in the course of our practice here at Hall & Wilcox in the defamation space. Uh, but the concern is in relation to American-based operators, so, um, or TikTok is China, but um, Facebook, Facebook in particular, exactly, yeah. their headquarters are in America and they have Australian presences, but they don't accept service overseas. So what they really do is hide behind the, the boundaries of um, the jurisdiction of Australia. And that's why by requiring those entities to have a bricks and mortar presence in Australia, it means that they have someone who is actually physically here um, and able to, to respond to these kinds of concerns. So that's probably the difference between what we have now and what, what's proposed by this legislation. So what's your view? Will the new legislation work? Is it required? We've published on this issue previously, and I think 
I have some concerns and they're concerns which I know are shared by others in the um, in the academic and, and media commentary community. Um, the first one is that by taking all responsibility away from individuals and businesses who run these pages, it really gives them freedom to incite comments and not be liable at all. So um, there is a balance to be had here between the VOLA kind of scenario where you've got um, new sites who are promoting commentary on their sites and then people posting, which is defamatory, um, as opposed to it could go completely a different direction where you've got, for example, a site or a page which is set up for the purposes of um, some kind of racial or hate speech or something like that, where if you're the owner of that page, you can invite people to come on and make comments knowing full well that whatever people say on your page, you're not going to have any liability because that's all shifted to um, the social media platform as part of this process. The other part is I've already touched on, and that's the fact that this is really just preliminary discovery by another name, although it does give this additional benefit of being able to keep everything within the jurisdiction. Another issue that we've identified is that if you're going to set up a anonymous online profile um, for the purposes of defaming someone else, you're probably not going to sign up in your own name with, with an email address that comes back to you. So I think the likelihood of having gone through the process under the new legislation that you would find sufficient details about someone to actually sue them and serve them in Australia, I think is going to be quite quite difficult and potentially unlikely. And that's a problem because you would have already gone through the process and the expense of going through this process to obtain this information. It could just be, you know, puts gray forever at hotmail.com. You know, what are you going to do with that, Martin? You can't, you can't see that. You can't name puts gray forever in a... Uh, in a originating writ. I'd like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you would. Um, and then the, the final issue, I think, as well, is that the fact that some of these powers already exist in relation to online bullying and harassment. So there's the Online Safety Act of 2021 as a Commonwealth piece of legislation that came into effect in January 2022. And that already includes a process for takedown notices um, for people who have been bullied and harassed. And it really is, there is a significant overlap between what we're talking about here, which is defamation. So making um, publications about people that have defamatory meanings about their reputation. There's a very, there's a significant amount of overlap between that and online bullying and harassment. So um, I think those are the main reasons why it might not actually achieve the objectives. Thanks, Hamish. The other future reform that you mentioned was the extension of absolute privilege. Before we talk about the nature of that proposed reform. What is absolute privilege? Yeah, so absolute privilege is a very limited defence which arises from a specific set of circumstances. And it's a complete immunity defence which applies irrespective of the publisher's motive or reasonableness. And because it gives you essentially complete freedom against any kind of defamation claim, um, it's only in limited circumstances where um, protection is indispensable to the public interest. So really it's just courts and parliamentary proceedings which attract absolute privilege and you've actually we've actually seen that in the past with um, some of the comments that have been made by politicians on the floor of parliament which are what they say about each other Martin I think you'd agree is entirely defamatory of of them and other people but um, fortunately or unfortunately they are they have absolute privilege on the floor of parliament to defame whoever and and whatever they want and the reason for that is that you want to have your House of Parliament as being a place where you, politicians can speak openly and freely, um, hopefully in a pleasant tone and manner, um, but if they wanted to take it in a different direction, then they should have the freedom to do so. So that's an example of, of absolute privilege and where it usually applies. Okay, great. What are the proposed reforms then in relation to absolute privilege? 
So these are reforms which are coming out of the second stage of the New South Wales led review into the defamation laws. Um, we talked last week about the, the outcomes from the first um, stage of those reforms. But the, the target of this is to extend absolute privilege to circumstances where people who have been the victims or have witnessed criminal conduct or other misconduct such as sexual harassment um, have been dissuaded from reporting those things to the police or their employers or organisations they work in um, because of fear of, of defamation risk. And something which has been identified by the Australian Human Rights Commission is that defamation laws really were discouraging the disclosure of sexual harassment in Australian workplaces in particular. Um, and it's something that we've actually experienced as a firm acting for clients in this context, where we're acting for someone who has made a report against another person for misconduct, particularly in an employment context and, and also in another educational context where that person has then brought a defamation claim against them saying what you've said about me is false and that you've defamed me and this is harming my reputation so here's my concerns notice about that. Wouldn't qualified privilege apply there? It usually would um, but the issue with qualified privilege is that you have to as we discussed last week you have to actually assess the the facts and circumstances so um, the difference in what's being proposed here is that if you have absolute privilege then um, your motivations and you really just have that freedom from the start, whereas qualified privilege, you have to go through the trial process and um, a court has to find that qualified privilege applies. So it still prevents people from having that freedom from the very start. And what's the reaction been like to these proposed reforms around privilege? I think, I mean, obviously people are, there's a groundswell with the Me Too movement and um, with people being far more aware and open to receiving complaints about people's conduct, particularly sexual misconduct and harassment in the workplace. Um, but I think, and it's a very small percentage of claims, I'm not sure whether there's any uh, other people working in perhaps the employment um, context would know more about it than I, but because there's no, it's an absolute freedom. So <clears throat> you can, um, your motive or reasonableness doesn't come into it. Um, there is a potential for people to have absolute freedom to make false claims about other people for their own benefits. Um, and another reason why this absolute privilege is different to qualified privilege is that qualified privilege has a, a concept of reasonableness um, and you can't act maliciously in qualified privilege. So maliciously being you can't set out to deliberately harm someone, whereas absolute privilege, if we just let all the, give everyone immunity, then there is a potential there for someone who's got an ax to grind about someone else to then be circulating um, false reports and, and in those circumstances you've, you've got no recourse. And where are these reforms at? Has anything, any bill been introduced to Parliament? Is there any timeline? So the timeline is that there was some draft, there was a discussion paper released by the New South Wales led review last year. They invited responses which have now been received and that what they're proposing to do is they're synthesising that, those responses now for the purposes of, of coming up with their recommendations. So it's still at that reform stage. They'll then, the way in which it works is that the New South Wales led review will form a view. They'll then take that to the Council of Australian Attorneys General in each state and territory for the purposes of agreeing on um, model legislation which each state and territory will hopefully introduce. It, it might be the case that if West Australia still hasn't implemented the first changes, they can just roll the second changes in and do it all at once, Martin, but we'll have to see how that works. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so it sounds like there's some really interesting possible changes to defamation law on the horizon. Just in wrapping up today, Hamish, um, thanks very much for all your efforts over the last four podcasts. Um, 
been a really interesting discussion. It's, it's a fascinating area of law. Um, it's a really specialised area of law that always seems to, to draw out some interesting and unique facts and cases. Uh, but it's been a pleasure to speak to you as a specialist in this area uh, and to get your thoughts. Thanks to everyone who's listened to us, particularly people who have listened across all four episodes. Hamish and I are available to talk about any of these matters. Uh, please look for our details on the Hall & Wilcox website or contact us through Hall & Wilcox social media. Hamish, anything you want to say in wrapping up? No, that's all. I think um, I think it's been fun. And um, yeah, very much look forward to um, for hearing from people about how we can help them on both sides of this um, this issue. Thanks, Martin. Thank you again. It's a wrap. Mm-hmm.